Well, our scripture lesson this morning is Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. You find that on page 839 of the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. We've seen how Jesus now begins to teach the crowds and the disciples in parables. And once again, he has several parables here for us in this particular passage. Read with me now, beginning in verse 21. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when grown on the, when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it, give, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, for he explained everything. A number of years ago, I went on a mission trip to New Orleans. This was prior to Hurricane Katrina. And we went to what is called the Ninth Ward. You may remember that from some of the news reports after Hurricane Katrina hit. It was the place most devastated uh, by the floodwaters following the hurricane. Now, before New Orleans suffered such a tragedy by the Hurricane Katrina, uh, it was at one point the murder capital of the United States. In fact, there was one murder per day in the city of New Orleans. And over half of those murders occurred in the Ninth Ward. The Ninth Ward was filled with crime, stolen cars, drugs, sexual immorality, rape, any kind of debauchery that you can imagine, any kind of criminal efforts that you can imagine were taking place in the Ninth Ward. And when we went there on a mission trip, we went to a ministry called Desire Street Project. There's a street called Desire in the middle of the Ninth Ward. And we heard testimony from young men who had become Christians in this particular place through the ministry of a man by the name of Mo Leverett. And they told us of how they, too, had been engaged in stealing cars and selling and buying drugs and various things. And at times they would load us up in vans just to get a sense of what it's like to live in the Ninth Ward. And they would drive us through 
And we wouldn't dare get out of the van because we would drive through and people would look at us very strangely knowing that we didn't belong there. And we knew we didn't belong there. Now, this man by the name of Mo Leverett, who is a pastor, basically took his family and planted them right in the heart of the Ninth Ward. They bought a house. They moved in. Their children went to school in the Ninth Ward. One point, there was a gunshot that came straight through their front window and lodged itself into one of the walls. This was a very difficult place to minister. Mo was a punter for the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. And he thought, well, one of the ways that I can get into the community and get involved in people's lives is by volunteering as a coach at the local high school. And so that's what he did. Here he shows up at the local high school and he asks the coach if he can volunteer. He says, well, what can you do? And he says, well, I was a punter in college. Maybe I can help out with special teams and kicking. And the coach said, well, let's see what you've got. And Mo grabbed the football and punted it with everything he had, slipped and fell right back into the mud and was laughed at by the entire team. Now, with that kind of situation and the sense of overwhelming weight coming against you, how could somebody persevere? There were many times when he had to ask himself, what am I doing here? Can I have any kind of impact in this particular place? The murder capital of the United States. Me, a white man who doesn't fit in, who's being laughed at by people around me. How in the world can I have any kind of impact? I think the Apostle Paul must have felt the weight of that as well. Imagine going into these centers of culture. Athens. Rome. Going into the great Areopagus with the, the learned men of the day, thinking, what do I have? What do I possess with me that is of significance here? How can the kingdom flourish here in such unbelief with great opposition coming against me? And certainly Paul experienced great opposition everywhere he went. My friends, at times I think we can be prone to ask that question too. Where's the kingdom here? How's it going to grow here? You walk down Main Street, Hendersonville, you don't have the same sense that Paul would have felt going into Rome or into Athens or what Mo Leverett might have felt going into the Ninth Ward of New Orleans. But I guarantee you if you begin to talk with people about the Gospel of Jesus Christ, there will be opposition to you and you'll begin to wonder can the gospel be, make further inroads here can the kingdom grow and flourish here you see there are many places in our own lives where the the kingdom almost feels as though it's just a flicker you know what that feels like you you struggle with the same besetting sins maybe sins that no one else really knows about and you wonder can the kingdom get a foothold in my heart here. Some of you know what it's like to struggle as a parent or if you're a, a mother and you, you take care of your children and you're exhausted at times and you wonder, will God do anything great in their lives? I don't see much fruit of the kingdom in the lives of my children. Is there much change that's taking place? And you wonder, where's the kingdom here? Maybe you're a teenager. Maybe you 
face opposition. You're a Christian and you you sort of stand out just a little bit at school and you wonder, can the kingdom break in here? Well, that's the very thing that Jesus is dealing with in these particular parables as He talks to His disciples and in a way talks beyond His disciples to the crowds as well, telling them about the kingdom. Because you see, they've, as we saw last week, they've begun to wonder, if Jesus is the true Messiah, then where's the fruit? We see so much opposition coming. The crowds are there to see a miracle worker, but they, they don't really believe. Jesus, if You're the real Messiah, where's the glory of Your kingdom? Where's the kingdom here? And what Jesus wants to say is that for those who have ears to hear, you have to accept the way in which Jesus brings His kingdom into this world. For those who have ears to hear, you have to accept the way Jesus will bring His kingdom. He's come now and He's sifting the crowds by using parables and He's also informing His disciples about what the kingdom is like. He began with the parable of the sower in which He speaks of the different types of soils and that there's only one type of soil where the kingdom will flourish and in which the kingdom will grow. And what He's doing here is now beginning to calibrate the expectations of His disciples by saying, now now let me tell you how the kingdom will actually grow. Not by your expectations, but by My program. And there are several things here that Jesus promises that shape our hope and our even practice as we seek first the kingdom. And the first thing is this. The kingdom comes in God's time. The kingdom comes in God's time. Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, the kingdom is veiled. Because it's veiled in the flesh and the weakness of Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth. Not born of noble birth, not mighty and powerful in appearance, but a weak and frail man, a carpenter from Nazareth. And he speaks of the secret of the kingdom back in verse 11 of chapter 4. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now the secret is this. That the kingdom is actually Jesus. Because Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And all the blessings of the kingdom that flow from Jesus will be brought because of His grace and His goodness towards His people. And so Jesus is saying here, there's a secret of the kingdom and the secret is Me. And if you have ears to hear, then you'll recognize that I am the kingdom. And that if you want to enter into the kingdom, if you want to participate in the blessings of the kingdom, then you will come to Me by faith. So here He's saying that the kingdom's present, but because of His appearance, the glory of the kingdom does not shine very brightly. He's the light of the world, but He only looks like a dim flicker in the eyes of His onlookers. But what Jesus promises here in this parable is that that won't be so forever. Verse 21, Jesus says, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? He's, That's absurd, He says. You don't light a lamp to hide it. You light a lamp to let it shine. 
to bear its light so that you can see. This saying would almost be a little bit comical to those who are listening. And Jesus reveals the point of what he's saying in verse 22. He says, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. In other words, though the kingdom is in a sense veiled, though it is in a sense hidden, it will not always be that way. And one day it will come forth and the veil will be removed and it will shine brightly, Christ promises. He's saying it's, it's abnormal for someone to light a lamp and hide it under a bushel. And in the same way, it's almost contrary to the nature of the kingdom for God to veil it, to veil the glory of His own Son. And one day, He will no longer veil the glory of His Son, but will release His glory into the world so that all will see very clearly that Christ is King. God will not allow the glory of His Son to be hidden forever. See, upon the death and resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of His Son to His rightful place of honor, the kingdom comes just a little bit closer to its glorious manifestation. But it won't yet be consummated until Christ comes back in glory. And at that point, all the concealment will fall away. You see, this concealment now is, is only a prelude to the glory that is to come. Paul writes of this glory and he says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. And so for now, what Jesus is saying is He's saying, if you have ears to hear, hold on. Hold on by faith in Me. Don't let go of your hope that the kingdom will come in glory. That all things will be made new once again. That the King will shine and bring in His kingdom of justice and mercy. You see, for the crowds, there's this great temptation. And I'd say even for the disciples too, to let the, the apparent weakness and the unimpressive beginning of Jesus' ministry deter them from remaining faithful to Him or deter them from even coming to Him. Deter them from making a wholesale commitment to Christ because it looks as though He's not on the winning side. So maybe I'll take my chances and not fully commit to Him. See, waiting can be hard, can it? Waiting can be very difficult at times. It makes us wonder if a, a real wholesale commitment to Christ is even worth it. Especially when you experience hardship or when you experience persecution. You begin to wonder, is it worth it to remain faithful to Christ? When the, when the church doesn't seem to be a clear manifestation of the glories of the kingdom, and the church fails, and people are hypocrites, and sin seems to have its way, and, and the church seems to be entangled at times in sin. And you wonder, well, maybe it's not worth it to remain so committed to Christ. 
and we begin to drift spiritually, sort of straddle the fence. And we want to believe, but we keep one foot in the world and pursue worldly pleasures and seek after worldly gifts and worldly fame. Because maybe after all, in the end, the kingdom won't come. And it won't be like I expect. And there won't really be much glory. And in that point, your zeal for God begins to grow cold. And you no longer seek to serve Him faithfully. What Jesus says, if that is your disposition, He says in verse 23, if you have ears to hear, hear. And He gives this warning in verse 24, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. In other words, the measure of your response to my word will be the same measure by which you will be judged. And if your response is one of faith, one of trust, one of holding fast, well, then you will be greatly blessed. And that's what he goes on to say in verse 25. For to the one who has, more will be given. More will be given. And from the one who has not, that is to say the one who doesn't have faith, the one who doesn't persevere, the one who doesn't hold fast, to that person he promises even what he has will be taken away. You see, the one who trusts and remains faithful you will be given far more than you could ever ask or imagine. Because doesn't the writer of Hebrews promise those who seek the Lord will be rewarded? Because He rewards those who seek Him. You don't merit it. You don't deserve it. But out of His good grace, He will shower upon you blessing after blessing from the kingdom. And He says, if you have a little bit of faith now to trust in Jesus, how much more will you be given in the kingdom to come? And so it's a call to, to press through and to hold fast. And yet, every interaction with Jesus is a test. What will you do in the face of the apparent weakness of the kingdom? I remember when I lived in Missouri, there was a man who drove up to a car dealership in the Ozarks. He was a very common looking man, wore jeans and probably just a t-shirt, drove an old beat up pickup, and he drove up to the car dealership. And typically when you drive up to a car, at least one salesman's going to come out and come towards you thinking you're a prospective buyer. No such salesman showed up when they looked at his appearance. They considered him to be a prospect that wasn't really worth their effort. What they didn't know was that man was Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, who had come in to buy a fleet of trucks and they couldn't see the, quote, hidden potential. And my friends, if you look at Jesus and you look at Him in His earthly ministry and He seems so weak and frail, and His kingdom in your life seems so weak and frail. Don't be fooled by the apparent weakness and insignificant beginning of His ministry. Because one day He will bring His kingdom to light and it will come with the fullness of glory. 
And unfortunately, those who resist Jesus's call, a call to see the light of the kingdom, he says, all will eventually be lost. And everything you have will be taken away from you and you will end up with nothing. Because if you can't see the light of the kingdom now, he promises one day you will see it. Verse 22, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. You will see it. When as Paul promises in Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow before Christ in all of His glory. And yet by then it will be far too late. Come to Christ now and hold fast to Him regardless of what you see in your own life. Trust in His grace. Well, secondly this, the kingdom not only comes in God's time, but the kingdom comes really by a mysterious working of the Word of God. Here we have another parable about a farmer who goes out and sows seed. And what we see here is this seed that grows very rapidly and very strongly. It falls into the good soil, you might say, from the previous parable. We're told the kingdom of God is like a man who goes and scattered seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. And so here in particular day and age when Jesus is speaking, this, this seed doesn't uh, grow by a way of their own understanding, but rather it seems mysterious. They put it into the ground and all of a sudden a plant begins to come up. It's a mysterious working and the same is true of God's Word in the hearts of people who fall up, that when the Word falls upon the good soil of people's hearts, it begins to grow. We don't understand how other than we know that the Spirit does the work. But yet, this is what He's saying. They know not how. The earth produces He says. It's very similar to what He says in chapter 3 when the, he, says, he says, you don't see the wind. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, but you see its effects. And He's saying the true, same is true of the Word of God. It begins to grow up among us and we don't know how we don't understand the working of the Holy Spirit through the Word, but yet it seems to work. And this small little seed that seems so insignificant, I mean, doesn't this almost seem so insignificant that, that this can have such a powerful effect on the entire world? And yet that's what He's promising. That my Word will bear much fruit, that it will go forward and not come back void. And so again, by this weak, apparently weak and frail, the Word of God, He is mysteriously growing His kingdom. Clemson University, there was a, an atheist who was a student, and he was firmly convinced that the Christian faith was not true. And he would argue with Christians, and he would debate and seek to disprove Christianity in some point along the way, somebody asked him, have you ever read the Bible? And the answer was no. One Christmas break, he went home and for some reason was fishing around in the attic one evening. And he came across an old family Bible. And he opened it up. Now, this was a very smart man. And he read the Bible cover to cover. And early one morning, he got on his knees and he said, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. 
The powerful working of the Word is what Jesus is talking about here. It looks like this frail little seed. It looks like foolishness to the world. And yet when it gets a hold on you, and when you give yourself to studying the Scriptures, and when it has its way with you, it does amazing things. Now this, I think, has something to say to us about the way in which we approach ministry. A friend of mine was in campus ministry at Harvard University where there's great opposition to the Gospel. Secularism has its hold upon that particular campus. And he labored there for six years and managed to gather together a group of 20 students. And he left there and went to D.C. and started a church that's now several hundred people. And of course, people came to him wondering, especially other ministers, what did you do? What's your secret? What did you change from ministry at Harvard to now going to Washington, D.C.? So that all of a sudden, things just began to flourish and the church grew. What did you do differently? He said, let me tell you the secret. I did absolutely nothing differently. I preached the Gospel. My friends, at times the Word bears great fruit. And at times it seems as though the growth is stagnant. Think of the difference between Jeremiah's ministry and the Apostle Paul's ministry. Both proclaiming the Word of God. One with no converts. The other the greatest missionary the church has ever known. What was different? The working of God. But the means are the same. And here God promises through His Word He's going to bear much fruit. And when He does, when the Word has its way with us, the powers of the Kingdom of God are just unleashed as we begin to submit to the Word and it has its way with us. And we begin to follow more closely the Word of God and follow more closely the Lord Jesus Himself. I think this is meant to be a great encouragement to the disciples and a great encouragement to us. As you think about ministry here, as you think about ministry you know, speaking the Word of truth into their lives, you need to trust that you carry around with you the most powerful weapon in all the world. There is nothing greater that can change people's lives than the Word of God. My friends, don't put it down. Read it. Devour it. Trust it. Share it. Because it is the means by which God promises. As one theologian says, God binds Himself to certain means and the Word is the primary means. If you want to see the kingdom grow, hold fast to the Scriptures. Well, let me mention one thing finally here. And that is that the kingdom comes with surprising growth. I mentioned uh, this morning with the children how Jesus promises that the kingdom grows insignificant little mustard seed. The, the smallest one known at least in that particular community grows to this great plant that's so large that birds come and nest in it. Now, mustard plants could grow maybe 10 to 12 feet tall, but not large enough for birds to come and nest in them. And what Jesus is saying is, I mentioned to you last week how He often puts a twist in His parables. Something that's extravagant. He's saying that there will be extravagant growth in the kingdom of God. 
from something as small and insignificant as this little seed will grow this great giant plant that exceeds all of your expectations. You see, the day will come when the kingdom of God will overshadow every other kingdom. Just as Daniel prophesied in chapter 7 that the kingdoms of the earth will not rule over the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God will have dominion. And Jesus will reign over every land, over every kingdom, and even over your kingdom and my kingdom. He will reign over it all. And yet, what we see in this particular life, what will fix it? What will fix all the tragedy? What will fix all the war, all the disease? Is politics going to do it? Is more education going to do it? Is money going to do it? Let me ask you this. What is worth giving your life to wholeheartedly? What can you trust that in the end will pay out for you? It is the kingdom of God and nothing else. Nothing else will ever last as the kingdom of God will. Nothing else will endure like the kingdom of God can endure. And so I think we need to do what Cornelius Plantinga, this writer says, he says, work and study in the same direction that you hope. Work and study in the same direction that you hope. If your hope is for the glory of the kingdom, give yourself to the glory of the kingdom. Give yourself to kingdom work. Work for it. Study for it. Labor for it. That in your life and in the particular areas that God has given to you, that there would be the first fruits of the kingdom begin to sprout up. And you would see peace reign. You would see justice done. You would see mercy in people's lives as the first fruits of the kingdom begin to take hold. My friends, our hope is in the resurrection. Our hope is in rebirth. Our hope is in renewal. Our hope is that the kingdom will come and will make all things new. And the question is, are we laboring for it now? Think of a capital campaign. You know, when someone comes to you and they want you to invest in their particular capital campaign, They want to convince you that what you're giving your money to is worthwhile. How much have you invested in the kingdom? With your time, with all your resources, how much have you invested? And the degree to which you're invested in the kingdom is a measure of your faith in the coming of the kingdom. If you really believe it's coming in glory, then you'll invest 100% in God's capital campaign to build a glorious kingdom for Himself. And one day the world, I think, will be startled at the manifest glory of God's kingdom. When Christ comes back and makes all things new, they'll look at it and say, how did we miss it? How did we miss the glory of Jesus? How did we miss what He was doing in this particular world? Very similar to the book, The Last Battle, the the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia, where the ape begins to deceive people in the land of Narnia. And he puts this old lion skin on top of a donkey and he says, pretend that you're the lion, the great Aslan lion. And people begin to trust that he really is, that this donkey covered in a lion skin really is the great king. 
And the ape deceives everybody. And before long, it seems as though the kingdom of the ape begins to overshadow the kingdom of Aslan. And then Aslan comes back. And he gathers all the faithful to himself. And he opens up a doorway. And he says, now all of you come with me. They come into this new Narnia. One that is far greater than any Narnia, any world that they could ever imagine. And eventually the door is shut. And coldness and darkness leaves everyone else behind. But for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear, there's this great refrain, higher up, farther in. Higher up and farther in. Let's keep going and explore the glory of God's kingdom. My friends, is that what you're looking forward to? You know, some people are, speak of Christians and saying they're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. But it's just the opposite. The more heavenly minded you are, the more you have a clear vision of the kingdom that's coming, the more you invest yourself now trusting that it's coming and that it's coming with power. Don't let the world overwhelm you. Don't let the state of the advance of the kingdom in your life deter you from holding fast to Jesus. But hold on to Him and all of His promises and give yourself to His kingdom service for His sake. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we do trust in Your work of grace. We want to trust in it more and more. We find ourselves at times too weak and frail. We give ourselves to various things. Lord, at times we find ourselves so busy with what this world has to offer because we don't truly believe that what You are doing is of great significance. Forgive us of that. Increase our vision, Lord, of the coming kingdom. We would invest in it, our whole selves, for Jesus' sake. Amen.